Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. Heavenly Father, we are uh, entering into battle this evening. We are uh, even opposing Satan head on tonight. God, I pray that as we look at your word and as we open our hearts to it, I pray that you would remove distractions from us and I pray, Lord, that you would forgive us of our sins so that we can hear. And Lord, to the extent that we need to trust in specific promises in order to uh, be have victory over the temptations in our life. I pray, Lord, that you would make those clear to us, and, Lord, that you would apply your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Scott Roeder murdered Dr. George Tiller in cold blood while uh, Tiller attended a Wichita church in 2009. Dr. Tiller performed many late-term abortions and apparently was guilty of many heinous crimes against humanity. But his death was still murder, and it was an example of unchristian vengeance that has no excuse. We, Grace Baptist Church, Santa Maria, California, on authority of God's word, decry such acts, and with no caveats, leave no question to our opposition to such criminal behavior. And we need look no further than Paul to find out why we are opposed to this kind of behavior. We find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, where Paul writes, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Therefore, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Let there be no mistake. We oppose murder on demand in whatever the form. And make no mistake, we, us here and Grace Baptist Church in general, are at war with the continuation of this Holocaust which Dr. Miller, Dr. Tiller took part in. But my friends, guns and bombs and assassinations will not win this war against Satan. You cannot use this enemy's weapons to defeat him. Instead, as Paul said, we destroy arguments and every lofty so-called opinion raised against the knowledge of God. In other words, you and I must fight at the level of ideas and we must show people why abortion is so wrong. And then, after we fight on this level of ideas, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. In other words, we fight at the level of our own and others' attitudes and actions so that those around us will see not only are our arguments better than theirs, but so, is our, so are 
our lives as well. It is true that Paul is very fond of using the language of warfare. In fact, he goes so far as to describe the entirety, all of the life of every Christian as genuine warfare. He calls us living in a battle and he charges us to arm ourselves so that we will be victorious in the battles in which we fight. Paul commands us. He doesn't even leave it as an option. Instead, he commands us to be strengthened by God by dressing in his armor so that we can stand. So that we can stand against the enemy who who is spiritual and not physical. Let's begin describing that as we look in Ephesians chapter 6. Yes, we are almost done with Ephesians tonight and one more week, and we'll be done. Verse, we're going to start reading in verse 10 and read to verse 13, where Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, Dr. Tiller, for example, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. There are our marching orders. And the very first thing that I want to draw your attention to is the fact that we as Christians are supernaturalists. We believe that there is something much more than the merely natural around us. And that includes God, His angels, and demons. If you have the idea that demons are silly or that we're describing Satan as running around with a pitchfork in red tights, you need to repent. This is not a minor issue. Demons are real and they are after your soul and the souls of the people who live near you. According to the Bible... <coughs> According to the Bible, demons are real and they wage real war against your soul. Your enemy is glad to have you believe he doesn't exist or belongs in places like Haiti. Satan and his, his demons are alive and well in Santa Maria, California right now. You. Yes, you and me, are the targets of demonic action, and you and I must fight with the very best weapons available. Scott Roeder was wrong, not only what he did when he murdered Dr. Tiller. Scott Roeder was wrong because the enemy he should have been fighting has no flesh. Demons are spirits, and you can't kill a demon with a gun. You can only kill a demon by taking up God's armor and killing sin. My friends, the spiritual battle against our enemy begins in our heart and then it continues outward into the culture around us, including, my friends, by voting 
in our country. And today we are going to learn that you and I must stand firm in our struggle against sin. And the way that we are going to stand firm in your struggle and mine against sin is by trusting God's promises. So let's begin with our first verse. We read in chapter 6, verse 10, where Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This command, which is found here in the ESV as be strong, is perhaps even better uh, translated because of how we understand it as be strengthened. It's a passive verb that Paul, Paul is using to reflect what he said a few chapters earlier in Ephesians 3.16 where he says that according to the riches of God's glory, he may grant you to be strengthened. This isn't an issue of you and I strengthening ourselves. It's a matter of God doing so in his way. And the way he does it is through his spirit, the Holy Spirit, in my inner being. And so then, once we have this strength that's given to us by the Spirit, we need to um, accomplish this task. We need to do what he says here, to put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand, to stand against the schemes of the devil. What are these? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Now, I I was dealing with a little bit of temptation earlier this week when I was writing that, and that was to make a lot of hay out of what this in verse 12 says, because there's all kinds of things, if you go on the internet, about demonic powers and um, all kinds of things, ranks and these kind of beings over that kind of beings. But Peter O'Brien, in, in one of the commentaries I relied most on in this sermon, said this about Paul's point in verse 12. He says, Paul's cogent, his most meaningful point here is that the Christian life as a whole is a profound, profound means at the deepest level, meaningful, profound spiritual warfare of cosmic proportions. These aren't just little demons throwing darts at you. This is a battle of cosmic proportions in which the ultimate opposition to the advance of the good news and of moral integrity springs from evil, supernatural powers under the control of the God of this world. And that God is Satan, and he desires more than anything to devour your soul as a lion. Peter tells us. Now, having given us the reason, the fact that we are in the middle of this cosmic struggle for your soul and mine, therefore, we have to guard ourselves. We need to prepare for battle. We need to get ready to fight in this war that will face us on every single day of our lives. In fact, as a side note, my family and I just took a vacation. You know, it was a great vacation. But you know one of the things I noticed? All four of us 
locked in that little van, there was sin going on. I don't know how Satan found us on vacation, but you know what? He doesn't take vacation. Even when you're in there to have fun, Satan still is there to trip you up. Amen? And so Paul tells us how we should prepare, and he starts that in verse 13. He says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Because your enemy is real, you need to put on God's armor. Now, in a moment, Paul's going to describe this armor that we are to put on. But I want to draw your attention to another passage that I spent considerable time um, developing because I think these two passages are related. And we find them in a fe- this one here where Paul commands us how we are to fight personal sin. We find that in Ephesians 4 verse 22 where Paul commands us to put off our old self and that old self belongs to our former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your night. So put off, be renewed, allow God to change the way you think, and three, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now you remember we talked at length about how the fact that Paul explains how we fight sin in a conscious, thoughtful, creative action of taking off the old ways that we have lived. Whatever your personal favorite flavor of sin is, recognize as you read Ephesians chapter 4 that you need to take it off and then you need to allow the Holy Spirit to change your mind, to renew your mind, or as Paul says here in Ephesians 6, to be strengthened in your inner being. And then We need to put on the new self, the self that is created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and strength and holiness. Now, it is this new self, I think, is related to what Paul is saying in this armor of God. This new self that we put on by abiding in Christ, by going to his word, by finding out, learning what are the promises of God that you and I need to put into our hearts, first of all, and then put into practice wherever we may be. But before we move on, I want to explain what I believe Paul is getting at when he's talking about this armor of God. Now, because we are fighting a supernatural battle, because we are fighting an enemy that cannot be killed by guns and bombs and assassinations, we need spiritual, well, blessings. We need God to bless us with things that we cannot otherwise get. Now, fortunately, praise Jesus, Paul tells us we have these right at the beginning of Ephesians where he says, Blessed be or honored be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The point 
that Paul is saying is now that you are in Christ. You have everything you need in order to fight these battles in the heavenlies. Now, I, for one, am of the opinion that way too much has been made about in the next several verses by exploring the this Roman sword, the Roman shield, the shoes, and all that such. And I'm not arguing with the fact that Paul may have been thinking about some Roman centurion dude. But that has nothing to do with what Paul is trying to get at. It has nothing to do with his point. And that's why our big idea today, as I've already said, is that we need to stand firm in our struggle against my sin and the sin that is in the culture around us by trusting God's promises. And what I'm going to say in short is that the armor of God that Paul is listing here all have allusions to, they all point to various promises found throughout Scripture. And I I picked the ones that I picked. You, when in your searching through Scripture, will find undoubtedly more promises. In fact, I hope you do. And then I hope you send me an email or Facebook telling me which ones you find, because then I'll add them to my list. But the point is, is that these are promises. Each one of the bits of armor is related to a promise that God has for you who are in Christ so that you can fight your enemy. Okay, fair enough. Let's go to verse 14 through the first part of 18 and read what he says. Paul again says, Stand, therefore, just like we said, stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of feet. Peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplications. Now, what I want to argue here is that we need not so much to look at each piece of equipment a Christian soldier might wear, as we need to look at the God who is behind this equipment and look at the God who gives us his word, who gives us his promises so that we can fight. Okay, so let's take on these. In verse 14, Paul writes, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Well, let's look at truth first of all. What kind of equipment is truth? Well, the first promise that came to my mind is the one that Jesus gives us in John chapter 8, where he says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word. Let's stop there just for a second. The key to every single promise that we are going to look at today is abiding in God's 
word. It is knowing God's word. It is living in God's word. Even when you're watching television, make sure that you are sufficiently immersed in God's word that it is coming to you while you are watching the football game. Or while you are shopping and you're thinking about what it is you want to eat on Wednesday night, but while you're concentrating on this, make sure that you are abiding in God's word and that it's not far from your lips. You may not be consciously thinking about it at every single moment while you're comparing two cans of of soup, but it is close to you. You are abiding in it. You are allowing your soul to be washed in it. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And when you do that, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. I tell my boys this all the time. We were talking last night. Satan's most powerful tool The most effective weapon Satan has against your soul is deceits, is lying, is turning or twisting the truth so you are misunderstanding it or denying it altogether. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Now that, my friends, that is a promise you can hold on to when you are being lied to by the culture from every conceivable angle. Better than that, this promise is is so great, you could put it on as a belt by refusing to listen to the lies of the culture around you in the first place. Hmm, there's a thought. Now, what is the promise behind this blessed promise? Breastplate of righteousness. Well, it's actually twofold. I think Paul often throws kind of innuendos in there and, and he, he, he makes double meanings and he does it on purpose. And I think in this case, there's this breastplate of righteousness refers to two different things. And the first is, it's the promise of righteousness that God gives you. That the righteousness he imparts, he declares into our account. We find that in 2 Corinthians 5.21 where he says, For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. There's only one of those. That's Jesus. So that in Christ, you and I might be the righteousness of God in him. Now, I think it's broader than that. I think there's a second aspect of this breastplate of righteousness, and it's the promise that your own righteousness that you have as you walk with Christ will give glory to God even when you suffer. And I think this is exactly what Peter is talking about when he says in 1 Peter chapter 3, But in your hearts regard Christ, the Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that doing good deeds, so that you're not worried about it, so you're not trying to defend yourself, so that when you are slandered, not if you are slandered, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. I think we as Baptists rightly put our emphasis 
on what's called an alien righteousness or a righteousness that is given to us or declared to us by Christ. And we, we, we rightly emphasize that because that is what saves us. But we need to remember that there is also a righteousness that when we are doing righteous acts, we have less to be afraid of. Amen? You won't ever need to lie if you're not messing up. So don't mess up. That was supposed to be funny. Comedic interlude, you know. James was using that this morning. But the good news gets better. In verse 15, Paul tells us, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now this promise you have from God in terms of sharing the good news. Has anybody ever been worried about the fact that they needed to speak the word of God to someone and they weren't sure how it was going to be received? Anybody Ever have that fear? I've got the perfect promise for us. Noticed, I said us. Okay, you caught that, Chet. Here's the promise right here, Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goes from my mouth. This is God speaking through Isaiah. That it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that for which I purposed and succeed in the thing for which I I sent it. My friends, when you are called to be a prophet, when you when God picks you to say you are going to speak forth my word. You don't have to worry about how they're going to receive it. They could totally reject it. They could scoff at you. They could throw rotten tomatoes at you. They can even kill you. But the point is That when you speak God's word, it will not return void. It will accomplish that for which God has sent it. Now that is a promise. That is a promise that you can tie your shoes with. And they will be watertight against all of the muck and filth that you and I have to wade through in this world. And once again, it's God's word that enables you and me to live, live sharing as well as knowing the gospel of peace. Because I don't know about you, but there is not an awful lot of peace in this world. And we need God's word in our heart so that we know it. And then verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now here we get back to my main point. Because the question is, what is faith? I I actually have two questions. My first one is, what is faith? And then, how is it that faith saves us? Why didn't God choose to make us walk 100 miles in order to be saved? Well, you, you begin with understanding faith. Faith is simply trust. Faith is trusting the person in whom you are putting your faith. We need to, God commands us and, and invites us and gives us plenty of reasons to trust that he is the one who is honest. He is the one who who gives us the truth. And we can trust what he says. Faith then, because 
we are putting our trust in someone else, in him namely, and not ourselves. It is faith that God has chosen to be the instrument of our salvation because instead of putting our trust in walking a hundred miles, in lifting a thousand pounds, putting our faith in God is saying, look God, I can't do this, but I know you can and I'm trusting you to do it. Do you ever think about that? That is why faith is the key to our salvation, not only from the penalty of our sins, but from the power of our sins. When you go to God's Word and you find there a promise that is directly against whatever it is, whatever temptation you're facing, whatever flavor of sin that that has caught your tongue. When you go and you trust the promise, you're saying, God, I cannot do this on my own. I am looking to you to rescue me from the penalty of sin, which Christ has already done if you've trusted the promises of God for you in Christ. But also, Lord, because of this promise, I am trusting you to save me from the power of my sin that is dragging me away from that which I want. Anybody ever felt that? I sure have. And you know, I love it because I'm going to give you a promise right towards this. You knew I was. I was, wasn't, didn't you? And that, this one I find in 1 John 5, 4 and 5, where, uh, not Paul, John says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Oh my goodness. I need that promise every single day of my life, don't you? For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Verse 5, who is it who overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Why is that so significant? Why is it that we need to put our faith, our trust in the fact that Jesus is the Son of God? Because Jesus, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, is the amen. Is Jesus is the final answer to all of God's promises. If God raised Christ from the dead, then there is nothing that he cannot do for you. Thank you, Dave. Come on, guys. You've known me for six years. You know I'm an amen preacher. I I need to hear the amen. (laughs) I'll take that too. We put our faith in what God has promised because as we are turning to him in his word, as we are turning to him in our prayer, our focus is no longer on what Greg Burtnett can do, but what he can do in me and through me and for me. Now, Paul continues, and he tells us that no battle armor could ever be conceived of as complete if it weren't for what we find in verse 17. We need to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which again is the Word of God. I think he's saving the best for last because the key to all of the battles that you face is an assurance of your salvation, an assurance that you will 
be ultimately victorious. And Romans chapter 10 verse verse 13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. When you call out on the Lord and say, Save me, Lord. Save me from the penalty of my sin. Save me from the power of my sin. And one day, save me even from the presence of sin. The Lord will not let your prayers go unanswered. But you can know that you know that you know that you are saved. If you have called on the Lord, you will be saved. You are both trusting in the truth and you are wearing the breastplate of righteousness. Trusting this promise, if that was the only one that you had, would enable you to be victorious over many of the temptations you face. But not only does God's word protect us, but it is also the only weapon that we have. Now, a lot of hay has been made out of this. And actually, I think this is right. That the only weapon that's described in the armor of God is the sword of the Spirit. And I just picked two of my favorite verses with this regard. The first one is Hebrews 4.12, which you're familiar with. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intention of the hearts. Notice that The battle is happening inside the person. And whoever wrote Hebrews knew that. It's the word of God is discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the hearts. And just in case you had any misconceptions, I love Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer? That breaks the rock into pieces. Thank you. God's word is powerful against every foe you will face in the war for your soul. Then as Paul frequently does, he both ends the current section that he's in and he begins his next section at the very same time. And let me read to you the first part of verse 18 where it says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Okay, we're going to get to that second part in just a second. I thought I deleted that. Now here Paul isn't so much giving a promise of God as he is telling us what we must do in light of the promises. That will be clearer in a second. And the application that Paul gives in talking about all the promises of God, all of God's word being active and alive in us and through us as we are living this spiritual battle, the point is prayer. The number one weapon in Jesus' own arsenal we find in Mark 9.29 when they say why couldn't we cast out this demon Jesus said to them this kind can only be driven, cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and he said just in case you missed it in John 16.24 until now you have not asked for anything in my name ask pray seek me And you will receive. Why? I love this. 
This is my favorite prayer verse because he says, that your joy may be full. I don't know about you, but I spend too much time and energy and resources chasing after things that I think will make me joyous. You want real joy? Pray. Talk to Jesus. Stay close to him. And as I was reading, actually, I was reading my own sermon. and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I, I've, I've read something like this before. And I remembered this verse, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. He says, Paul says, he commands us, do not be anxious about anything. Oh, man, that is one of my sins that I need to repent of. Do not be anxious about everything. But instead of being anxious, instead of being fearful or fretful, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And look at what will happen, verse 7, and the peace of God, the opposite of anxiety, which surpasses all understanding. You've talked to people your Christian brothers and sisters. And you've said, why are you not pulling your hair out? And I respond, that's why I cut it short, because I don't have enough. Why are you not pulling your hair out? It's because I have a peace that passes understanding, which is guarding my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. That is a prayer you can take to the bank. And Paul said this with an absolute clear conscience because of what Jesus said again in Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I tell you, ask whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Put your faith in the giver, and what you will be asking for will be given. We must stand firm in our struggle with sin. That's our, our main point tonight, by trusting in God's promises. Now again, as I just said a moment ago, the entire point, the whole point of arming yourself like this is so that you can pray. Paul, in describing these gifts, are, is describing it so we could stand up to the temptations we will face, faith, face in life. And the point he makes is so that you and I can pray for each other. Listen to what he says in the rest of 18 down through 20. He says, To that end, this idea of praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints, and also for me, pray for me, Paul says that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul was asking them to pray so that he could have a BMW horse. He was asking them to pray for him so that he can have the shiniest, newest gadget to go in his, his chariot. Either that, or he was asking for prayer so that he can speak the gospel of peace. 
Stand firm in your struggle with sin by trusting God's promises, especially with regards to praying for God's people. Have you ever listened to a sermon on prayer and thought, man, that preacher just pulled a whole lot of different promises about prayer out of the Bible. I've listened to those sermons, and I've thought to myself, why is it that God needs to say over and over and over and over again all of these fantastic, tremendous promises about prayer. It's because you and I are lazy, forgetful sinners who would make the slightest excuse not to pray. (laughs) Is anybody with me in that? When you think about the armor of God from now on, when you start to think about what this armor of God means, and I am by no means claiming to have the last word on it, this is what I want you to remember. I want you to remember that the armor of God is there full of promises of God himself so that you can pray. Not only so that you can pray, but so that you can pray for us. You can pray for the people around you so that we can open our mouth. And I gave you on the back side of your sheet a list of prayer requests. Pastor Benji's and James did not approve of this, but I got this from some guy in Minneapolis, some John Piper dude. Yeah, you know. I was surfing the net, and that's what I came up with. And I'm just going to run through this real quick because I want you to take this home. If you did not pick one up on the way in, please do on the way out. Pick one of these up. Put it, don't put it on your refrigerator because you know what happens when you open your refrigerator? Oh, what's to eat? Put it on your alarm clock so that twice a day, when you go to turn your alarm on and when you go to turn it off, you will be reminded of things to pray for your pastoral team. Ask God to give us an inclination to his word. I'm not going to read the verses, but go over each one of those verses. They are so important. Pray for our purity that we would not come into temptation. Pray for our biblical and doctrinal faithfulness. Pray that we stay true to God's word. Pray for solid, joyful, Christ-exalting marriages and families. Pray for our boldness in witnessing to the truth. Pray for visionary and creative energy. I loved that one when he said that. Man, it's tough sometimes. Pray for converting power that only comes through God's Holy Spirit. And pray that we would be a small part of the great global awakening. And you know what? You have my permission not only to pray all eight of those for me, but for any other Bible-believing, Christ-honoring person you run into. But by all means, put on the armor of God so that you can pray. And Almighty Heavenly Father, we ask that you would indeed clothe us with power from on high, that your Holy Spirit would work in us and through us and for us so that we would be prayers for our good, for the growth of your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net. 